Hey, this is Design Lota, the podcast where we talk about life as Indian designers. I'm Angie. And I'm Sushi. In our last episode, we took a walk down memory lane and spoke about our learnings from a year of Design Lota. It was both fun and scary doing that video for the first time. What did you think, listeners? Remind us to keep our notes in front of us instead of to the left <laughs> next time. <laughs> Um, if you haven't seen the video yet, it is on our Facebook page as well as our blog, designlota.com. <laughs> in today's episode, we are going to talk about the importance of user research in every design project. Yes, we've touched upon all of that in our interview with Ripul Kumar. Ripul is currently the head of UX at Tally. I also took his user research course at NID where he was a visiting faculty. Let's get straight into it. Hi Ripul and welcome to Design Lota. We're so excited to have you on our podcast. Hey Angie, I am very very excited to be on this podcast. Secretly <laughs> I always wanted to be on this podcast. So oh, thank wow. you for having <laughs> me here. And I think it's a lovely opportunity for me to connect to thousands of designers out there who I think love your podcast. So well, thank you so much. We feel so validated right now. <laughs> So Ripul, uh, there's a question we ask pretty much everyone who, you know, we interview. We like to hear people's personal stories and how they end up becoming designers or getting into the design field in some way. So how did you choose to become a designer or uh, what brought you to where you are today in the design field? Okay, so <laughs> I think it was just an accident. Okay. Then... Okay, everybody wanted to become an engineer or a doctor, probably. Right. Right. But, you know, something that, that you know, I couldn't do, I, I probably did not have the, you know, probably the skills or the knowledge in at that point of time to, to be there. Mm. And uh, so it wasn't something that uh, somebody would choose. But then, you know, I think that excited me. Okay. And, uh, you know, when I went to NID, everything about design in terms of how it solves problems, mm. That's something that, that, you know, that caught on deeper in my mind. Mm. And as I went along in my journey at NID, I realized that uh, design per se was not my real forte. My real forte was, was behind design. Mm. And I think I realized it at NID itself. Yeah. It was about how do you support design? And to support design meant a lot about mm. research. And as I, you know, started my design career, I did a lot of exhibition design. Uh, initially and then went into you know web design the very early web design okay, okay. in the in the mid 90s mm -hmm. web was just starting right. to come in at a point of time when i started doing research with design and that was actually quite late in the life okay. cycle that is when i started realizing oh my god this is where i belong mm. and i think the journey just happened it just transformed mm. itself uh, the, the world, you know, they say that it, you know, conspires to take <laughs> yeah. you there. The world conspired <laughs> to take me there. I think that is what happened. <laughs> so like a big arrow mark pointing to research. Do you remember um, maybe some of the projects or some things that you worked <coughs> on that led you to have that first uh, realization, that aha moment? Okay, the aha moment uh, was, I think, about 15, 16 years okay. back. Okay, okay. It was a project with a very large uh, bank, okay. probably the largest bank in the world. Mm. And we were redesigning their call center, okay. the uh, call center software. The brief mm. was actually very simple. 
it wanted uh, us to save about 5 seconds okay. of a regular call so a call hmm. was about 8 minutes and yeah. they wanted us to save 5 seconds of that call okay. and when we okay. started talking to them we realized why is 5 seconds what is so important about 5 yeah. seconds right we realized from a business it was about every second saved they will save about a million dollars okay. a year okay. and that is when said okay this is interesting and mm. you know as a part of the project i worked with somebody called dr dick rubinstein uh, a legendary in this uh, mm. in the usability field and he said you know ripple okay. we need to do a lot of research and he planned the research mm. and mm. we went into call centers across us the world opened up i knew i belonged there and mm. the you mm. know output was mm. phenomenal this bank saved not just saved 5 seconds they saved 120 seconds hmm. the people who were using the the call center software wow. i and they still use it they love it it has changed their lives entirely and that is what helped me understand that hmm. you know this is where i belong so you can directly see the impact of how research has informed absolutely the design Hmm. So these are the things about user research that excite you. What else about user research, you know, gets you <laughs> okay. in the mood? So, you know, Professor Nadkarni of Industrial Design Center IIT Bombay, you know, always used a very interesting term hmm. called watching active people do their daily task. What they do hmm. and do well hmm. every day helps design. That's exactly what excites me every day. When you when you see people doing very regular day-to-day hmm. things, you understand what their day looks like what their fears are why they do what they do and that informs designs deeply and if you don't do that you're you're actually yeah. only probably mm. scratching the surface or you know as i said mm. you know putting lipstick on a pig and that that's what fears me and that's also in a way <laughs> excites me i i love travel and i think i've come to love travel because of uh, research okay so it helps me understand cultures deeply wow. and i think a lot of insights not just come from the research that you planned and you did <laughs> but a lot of insights do come in from outside the yeah, research yeah. a lot of researchers don't talk about insights from outside the research but i think mm. it's a thing and a lot of uh, you know papers that you mm. see a lot of conferences that you go and hear people okay okay people do talk a lot about things that has happened outside the research hmm. so that excites me okay yeah do you have any interesting examples that you are allowed to share <laughs> right i will probably pull out an example so there was this um, very very best agent they they called hmm. agents who was very very good in extracting small amount of money from people who owed uh, to the credit card company Okay. and you know while watching her following her everywhere including the loo sorry mm. <laughs> <laughs> she allowed that and <laughs> okay so you you start i started understanding her story and the yeah. story wasn't in watching her doing her work so she started talking about her deepest fears Hmm. about how her family did not give her the money to do very simple things how she had to really take those smaller bits of you know half a dollar quarter dollars you know hmm. from yeah. her brother or from her brothers or or from friends to get very simple things done hmm. and that really helped me understand how she does her daily work extracting very small amount of money from everybody else and how right. is she so different from anybody else what is the motivation and some of 
those stories i said you know that's mm. outside from what you watch them work yeah. help you understand how can you probably make software or even products or or systems better you know extracting money from small money from from people probably is not a very good thing mm-hmm. but ethically but if it's not what she is supposed to do how can you make mm-hmm. it and i think she she completely transformed the way that software and the you know the, the whole design system was made and how can she help everybody else because everybody else finds yeah. it very very difficult to extract money and how could she do it what was her method hmm okay let's go into how you ended up starting your own user research firm okay so i was in the us and i was probably working with the best people out there it was a great ecosystem mm. i had the fortune to work with i did talk to you about dr richard rubinstein and mm. uh, dr kat straub eric shafer they were the best out mm. there very vocal yeah. very well known and i actually worked with almost mm. all of them to understand this field deeply yeah. yeah and as i started working i started understanding that you know the kind of problems that i was solving was for uh, first world hmm. in in, okay. in many cases these problems weren't even there in india in yeah. india there were different problems the magnitude of these problems were completely different right. and at a point of time i decided to to come back and said can we actually solve these problems for india and in india and this hmm. was 2004 when i returned back i had no clue how we would start or how we would you know go about doing things but the only thing that i actually knew that we need to solve these problems for india so here i was in 2004 hmm. uh, left my company had no job in my hand in this was in may 2004 day hmm. one i had no clue where i was going i, I said you know i'll figure it out day one a very close friend of mine called me up he used wow. to run a software product company with which he sold to SAP a few years later uh, he said ripple what are you doing mm-hmm. i said you know i'm back and you know i'm trying to figure out he said you know would you consult with us i said yeah that i would love to and i think rest is history from yeah. there that project led into other projects and it mm-hmm. just happened yeah so kern was born in 2004 may uh, day one when i was back wow yeah so how did you go about basically sharing your vision with people and getting them on board yeah early stages were interesting because i was the lone guy initially hmm. and then i used to write a lot and i you know tried to do that still and somehow those things started getting me more clients okay. the first major client that i had was you know probably the largest online gambling company okay okay <laughs> 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 okay and uh, you know the, the client wanted us to do certain things we started doing that the money was great mm. the output wasn't mm. <laughs> this was something that we never wanted to do mm. but we did it now what what it did was it it brought in certain kind of uh, practices okay it you know and it helped me grow the teams and then we started moving out of those projects because we realized that it's something that we don't want to do yeah, and sure. then over time what happened clients like nokia they started working with us on a lot of research projects in india and they transformed us into a complete research company wow. okay they pushed us to do just research and all kinds mm-hmm. of research we mm-hmm. failed we we stumbled we succeeded in some ways but i think mm. over a period of time we learned a lot yeah. so i initially had no clue about uh, how to set up uh, stuff for research mm. a simple usability test was so difficult because in the us i would mm. just call up somebody 
they would set up the facilities they would you know find the users yeah. all i had to do is mm-hmm. to land up at that facility and start moderating okay but in in 2004 and 5 when we started there was no clue mm-hmm. how to even build a usability lab okay there was right. nothing out there no books no medium articles no nothing <laughs> and i remember my first usability test client did they gave us 3 months so that i think i was i was very fortunate and it was something to do on the mobile phone uh, and we mm. had no clue how to set up hardware and this was in hyderabad we had no access to or very little access to the world's latest and greatest stuff but somehow put that entire mm. thing together it was all all uh, analog there was nothing digital then there were no softwares mm. like mm. more that you have today or they were there but they yeah. were very rudimentary then and some of them were just mm. too expensive a small company like us could not even afford that we had to set up everything mm-hmm. from scratch and the client comes in and she realizes we were like super rudimentary <laughs> <laughs> and and she and she goes along with it and then she starts helping us with how do you do this some of the equipment she actually suggested and we ran and bought that figuring it out <laughs> figure everything out but with those were the struggles then so setting up equipment now is is a breeze because you know how you know how yeah. everything works yeah. <laughs> so i think we became experts through all these experts that came to to our facilities helped us grow. yeah yeah so do you think you were able to solve some problems that were specific to india which is what you started out looking for right uh, both yes and no and i think uh, you know i've always struggled with with the vision versus the mm. execution mm. so um, I always wanted to solve problems for India and in India and that were the two very critical parts. Now mm-hmm. when we started working with companies global corporations like Nokia and you know others they they wanted to solve problems in India and for India and yeah. that is what became our bread and butter where there's a foreign corporation mm-hmm. which understood research well and yeah. wanted to solve problems for India and we became their de facto mm-hmm. partner to help them understand those so our eyes and ears were in mm-hmm. europe or some in the us but we were solving problems here in india yeah. and that was quite interesting because no indian company mm. was even trying to solve problems for india mm. they were trying to solve problems for the us they were trying to solve first world problems mm. yeah some of our very early research was for nokia and for samsung trying to understand what rural india is like who are the people who are there what kind of problems do they have yeah and yeah. how do we solve some of those problems and i think both companies you know were very very successful in solving some of the communication mm. problems out there yeah. which i am really proud to say that we helped them yeah. understand those problems so in your research work with nokia and companies like that what were some of the methodologies you used especially in areas where we may not know how to navigate in terms of language or culture i'm talking about inside india right so what we did was fairly uh, textbookish uh, finding people mm-hmm. who knew people so in india people already know know a lot of languages so we had moderators or people researchers who understood those languages well <laughs> or we hired you know local people and then trained them to to understand what we want to do uh, some of yeah. that methodology so i think culturally again we are mm-hmm. very very different mm-hmm. from from anywhere else every every part yeah. of india is also culturally very different mm-hmm. but what you get out there is mm-hmm. huge form people are ready to please you yeah. okay and uh, you know and you had to always understand how do mm-hmm. we remove the please 
from mm. the actual observation, from the actual things that they say, what is not made mm. up and how do we take it out from right. what is regular? If we have, you know, let mm. us say made an appointment to visit a person in a village, I know the house is nicely cleaned up. Hmm. This, is, this not is not how, how it, it looks, looks every day. So how do you figure out how to actually understand yeah. what the house looks like? So what happened? We have a person A whom we actually talk to. But what we actually ask them as a favor is to take us to their friends' places. Okay. And that is when we have got real insights. Because the first one was all hmm. made up. And we, we knew this is all made up. The second one was a surprise. Right. So some of those methods evolved over a period of time. Okay, um, diary studies just don't work. People don't write. Right. So how do you do, you know, long-term studies? So we evolved our own methods of diary studies. So we would actually send them SMSs through the day mm-hmm. and ask them to reply. Okay, and we will keep doing that. We actually used to have calls every yeah. day instead of, you know, a diary. Okay. We probably have calls once a day or once in two days asking them to take us through something. And, you know, mm. so it was a reverse diary study. The researcher was actually writing mm. the diary mm. for the... For okay. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what do you think a researcher must become <laughs> to <laughs> to get into this, like you say, fly on the wall, right? To get into the fly on the wall mode. I mean, I don't want to sound yeah. too philosophical, but is it, isn't there some humility in this that you just get yourself out of this whole scene, right? What part of you should be in the scene and not be in the scene? So how uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the mind of this researcher? So it's very difficult to take me out of the scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. If you're really trying, you're probably in it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Angie. It's very, very mm-hmm. difficult to take yourself out of the scene. You always want to know more and you want to ask right. more. Okay, and you have this hundred questions that you have already jotted down. And in this age of, you know, information super quick, Google on your hands Mm -hmm. all the time, and you want to know everything just right now. Let me ask him and figure this out. So shutting up is your greatest skill. (laughs) And just be there. If you shut up, magic will happen. Because people will talk. Mm. When a researcher shuts up, always people. They want to tell you things what you don't ask. And watching people work is what will help you understand everything about Mm. people, right? So that's your biggest skill. Any user researcher, anywhere in the world, just observe. I kind of see this missing. In some uh, scenarios, especially when you're working on software products and uh, contexts which are smaller where you don't have the budget Mm -hmm. to go in and um, watch someone use, say, a dashboard or something, Mm -hmm. right? What kind of research can a designer who's you know in a company where there's no dedicated research team what can they do okay so i think when we talk about user experience the first term is user yes we are talking about the user and the experience of hmm. the user not the experience of a designer not the experience of the ceo but but then you are on the other hand saying that i have no budget to to reach to the user somehow. Yeah, yeah. Especially if my user is sitting somewhere else in another country. Agreed. Yeah, this is a fairly common problem. So any mm. experience that the CEO thinks, I know the user, mm. it's exactly when it fails. Mm. Because in most cases, the CEO has never seen the user. They don't want users to have better experience. Mm. What they want is a sexy product. It is up to the user experience designer to sex up the product. 
or to make a better user experience. You make a conscious choice, painting yeah. the pig, or I'm actually, you know, making pig runs faster. Yeah, or you yeah. know pig pig to a horse okay the choice is yours you need to be you need to understand that first and help people understand now coming back to practical yeah. issues right so in in small ux teams where access to users is very very difficult there's always mm. somebody out there who is the user whom you have access to and it may be similar industry maybe right. same industry maybe not the exact client but you will have similar people that you will find. and in in the world of uh, social media when you start asking for people that i need this kind of a person does does anybody know this kind of a person you will always find one person who will kind of fit there you know even mm. on telephone ask them to help you understand some of those things i can guarantee that that little talk with the user would ensure that your product is great right and you will start realizing the product managers or whoever mm. is managing those projects for you then actually start respecting yeah. you a lot more because you went out of the way to reach to people mm. to ensure that your product right. is better because you're de-risking them the key problem in their head mm. is that they are very risked so by by making a decision themselves what they're mm. doing is they're trying to de-risk themselves so again right. if you de-risk them by saying or by helping them understand mm. that this is actually a user that i talk to two people three people and you're already done Uh, in some cases right mm-hmm. i know it's a bad phrase to ask in a user research interview about in some cases uh, well what do you think about say best practices you know i'll give you an example say we are making an app for the elderly but actually we're making it for the elderly in india they've been recording their vitals mm-hmm. and you know they they use the app to see it so if we are designing this app yes we should go out and speak to the elderly but there are cases where in day to day life while you are developing this product and making decisions we resort to oh it's for the elderly mm-hmm. so the best practices are you know it should be the font size should be so much this should be so much uh, this is all uh, already decided because you know there are usability studies that mm-hmm. can back this up what do you think about being informed by best practices best practices uh, if you know that they're really the best practices they were best practice probably in a certain circumstances mm. if somebody published an article on linkedin mm. or medium that is definitely not a best practice so popular it practice. became popular from from somebody it probably has has no meaning i am not trying to say that everything that yeah. is out there yeah. has no meaning what i am simply saying that you know i think you should take extreme caution to to mm. say it's a best practice heuristics yeah. for yeah. that matter let us they they behave differently in different circumstances not mm-hmm. every left aligned mm-hmm. text is great correct mm-hmm. so so you need to to understand the circumstances very well and you know every yeah. software that you see today every product that you see you know i call it the mediumization of of the practice okay there are enough medium articles out there so mm-hmm. my sense is very clearly that i actually take many of them uh, with a pinch of salt the only thing that i would tell you that you need to do a very early test if you cannot do exploratory research mm-hmm. if you cannot right. do that early please 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 do a very simple concept test mm-hmm. every company in the world will say millions of dollars if they do concept testing yeah. so it's possible it's not that you know it's not possible uh, many times yeah. projects have huge timelines overruns because uh, you know because you have no clue everybody is making right. different decisions okay my one month project mm-hmm. runs into several months so if you add yeah. research you yeah. actually are fairly sure as you go along so 
okay you are de-risking the project fairly early with research you're not adding mm. timelines you're right. actually reducing risk with research and that's the transformation right. slowly everywhere in the world is starting to happen very early mm. i'm going to go into the design scene if we can say uh, that you have seen over past couple of decades if that's right what have you seen changing what were the good things and what were some things that you wish you know, <laughs> i think i started <laughs> talking about it already earlier so so <laughs> see earlier usability was the ugly pig in the room and this happened just before iphone happened iphone changed mm. everything 2007 yeah, was yeah. the transformation moment for usability usability mm. now became user experience every person every right. ceo cto product officer you know everybody started talking about mm. user experience i want my product to be as sexy as the iphone i want to hire a rockstar designer mm. what they didn't know that johnny i spent 20 years learning the trade yeah what everybody yeah. saw yeah. that how sexy things were what they missed so they saw the surface and they still do that <laughs> what they missed is how it works what we see now is super sexy products mm. they don't work complex products mm. they're neither useful nor usable so so every yeah. app that you see on your phone is super sexy but it's very difficult to find yeah. apps that are usable and useful if i have to book let's say you know a ride hmm. for 20 of us together from office you know how many bookings we had to do on from six different phones we have to manage all of them separately i have to build the office separately it's a pain companies have stopped looking at people's pains you know there's an entire thing about the new branding and yes hmm. that, that's great but where are you helping the users with it? So I love the yeah. way you know every designer's portfolio looks like today looks today mm. okay and it's so difficult for me to even figure out which one is the one that I have to see the first <laughs> okay and then you have to start figuring out you know mm. is it really useful is it really working okay if they mm. are talking about the user and they're saying that yeah. they understand this user probably there's a chance can mm. I actually call it talk so then you have a 10 minute talk trying to to probably listen to the word called user in a way and saying you know we we did this for the user otherwise what you hear is you know all about uh, you know how how this moves up how, how it transforms into something else stuff like that which is great because they're at a point of time micro interactions yes but what about macro interactions where is all the useful stuff gone yeah so i think you know we still struggling with basic hmm. in quotes usability things haven't really changed they just look so super sexy you mm. don't know which one to pick up wow that's a little depressing <laughs> but also i think you have to really see where the pig is yeah. because <laughs> exactly the, the pig pig is kind of you know camouflaged uh also thank you for the portfolio tip there uh, so to the designers who are listening but i don't think it is a it is their problem too because you know, design managers or whoever hires them these days who talks about uh, you know what benefits did the user get that seems irrelevant these days because everybody is talking about the same thing but at least i will look at you know what kind of users are you talking about what are they trying to achieve and what have you helped them achieve that so today you find yourself heading uh, the ux practice at tally and uh, how has this shift been or 
would you call it a shift from uh, heading your own design research firm to you know getting into the thick of things <laughs> in in UX uh, i think today. the experience has been superb my my learning has been immense i think this is the kind of learning that i was yeah. missing when i was running my own company so when i was running my own consulting company you know consultants yeah. you know are are pain in the ass because you know you you pay mm-hmm. them they come and they tell you what is yeah. wrong and they charge shit loads of money and they walk out and then you're like wow you know this is amazing but i have no clue mm-hmm. what to do now and uh, you know and then if they don't know what to do now or probably they do what stops mm-hmm. them converting that into a benefit for their users that i had no clue about so every research or yeah. research and design research innovation whatever we did mm-hmm. lot of times we had no clue why this didn't reach the market in spite of the in spite stuff. of all that was you know amazing stuff that was done in spite of they talking mm-hmm. to us daily after that you know yeah. post consulting hours that that had a lot of pain uh, inside my heart not as a you know head of a company you know who did user research because we were minting a lot of money but mm-hmm. as a person who wanted user research to be in the center of design so moving to a corporate you know i think was 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 a very good decision to understand why mm-hmm. everything just stops and i think that's my my greatest learning uh, trying to understand how corporates really work inside okay and probably that will help everybody understand how, what you should do to accelerate the the change okay every idea that out there is killed because people think at the top it's it's very risky right, right. and it's a top down problem unless it's the ceo's idea uh, nobody's going to go about it because mm-hmm. the risk moves up so when you think about it you know everybody passes on the risk to the guy at the top yeah so i will pass yeah. on my risk to my manager my manager will pass on the risk mm-hmm. to his manager or her manager and it will start moving to the top the only guy right. who actually carries the risk is the is the is the owner of the company or the so ceo it's magnified by the time it goes to him anyway exactly so our <laughs> biggest job is to de-risk them and uh, i love it now i think that's a great journey you know from all the way from the user to the business i think this takes us into the next thing that i want to talk to you about because what you've mentioned here is kind of what is spoken about these days as design leadership mm-hmm. kind of giving a voice to design that business will listen to basically that's what i understand mm-hmm. as design yeah. leadership so especially mm-hmm. for designers who are listening um how can they get into uh becoming a design leader so i think every designer is a design leader from that day they are stepping into into design they are a leader mm-hmm. because they're leading design leading design yeah. means that they're ensuring that something right reaches the users and the users are benefited from it every design right. leader's job is actually that hmm. so every design leader or every designer for that matter is a user representative first they're hmm. trying to be in the user's shoes you're saying right. telling everybody this is how our users behave these yeah. are the problems these are the fears these are the things that they're not able to do daily hmm. what if we can change their lives this way Okay hmm. so what they're doing is they're becoming yes. the chief user representatives hmm. in the companies and they're not the you know the business guys they're not the sales guys they're the designers yeah. but when you understand your users deeply hmm. their environment deeply you are kind yeah. of behaving like a clairvoyant too 
you know mm-hmm. de- designers are very mm-hmm. very difficult to please because they see problems everywhere mm-hmm. i think that's something that you need to retain so i was coming back to you know if you yeah. keep seeing problems you also see problems long term you're trying to see how the world will change because you're seeing right. those things on a daily basis so you are the one who's going to tell how right. the future is looking like and mm. if the future is going to change like this i need to have products or services which are like mm. this so you are in a way conceptualizing yeah. the future every design leader mm. must have hundreds of prototypes thrown in the dustbin now if you are the one who's going to show the way what happens after you you need to find people who are curious who are dreamy eyed who are passionate and you need to convert this passion into leaders who can take up your mantle mm-hmm. at a point of time and obviously you know design leaders are a design evangelist they spread love and design everywhere mm-hmm. okay that's their job they teach they mentor they fight they, they just yeah. evangelize mm-hmm. design everywhere workshops just all kinds of stuff wherever there's a chance go and evangelize so you know mm. thank you for this podcast probably you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> being a design leader yourself <laughs> you've gone over a little bit to the other side and done a course you've in management you've thrown me out of the community <laughs> so how did you find yourself there <laughs> and how's your experience been this was interesting i have been teaching everywhere and somehow i wanted to be on the other side one time in my life <laughs> and you know i i saw this uh, year long program at mit sloan uh, which hmm. uh, which was on the innovation management and seemed very interesting i had some time on my hand so here is a designer wo- you know who walks into a management course at mit sloan and the experience was more than amazing the faculty hmm. brought in current research topics they didn't they didn't bring in things that were out there they they brought out you know <laughs> what what research is happening at at mit and harvard uh, currently yeah. out there in management and here you have nobel laureates hmm. teaching and teaching it in a way that is you know it's not about hmm. them yeah. it is about the students it's how they learn and on top of it i had a lovely yeah. cohort we were 62 of us from 27 different countries and now you have friends you name an industry and i know exactly whom to call up for advice so i think that was the mm. most amazing experience i had really you know learning so much and i think this will you know this is starting to transform into how i do things on a day to day basis i'm probably doing some things right i hope mm. <laughs> okay has it increased your uh, empathy for management <laughs> or <laughs> you don't have to answer that <laughs> super thank you so we met when you came as a visiting faculty at nid mm-hmm. bangalore and uh, your course on user research was powerful and eye opening and uh, you know not just me all my peers would agree uh, so you still yes. teach at design schools right uh, first of all what got you into teaching uh, and how's your experience been over right so i do think i talked about why designers have to be an evangelist right so being an evangelist mm. you know you need to ensure that the right people are taught right or at least you know they, they have the right kind of of uh, grounding so i think teaching has always been an a learning experience for me i think every time i teach i learn more than anybody else probably more than the students i believe mm. and and every year i think it yeah. is uh, it's the same but the only thing that that i start seeing changing is the probably the 
you know, I see the uberization of information. Mm-hmm. And at your time, probably, you know, you were still very new to kind mm-hmm. of Google or, you know, uberization of information. But now today, everything that people think somebody is teaching, they should be able to Google it. Mm-hmm. And if it is not right. there on Google, you know what the mm-hmm. what the reaction is? It doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, not a thing. It is untrue. Mm-hmm. This doesn't exist. It's not a thing. This guy is fake. <laughs> it's not and that's something that mm-hmm. is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because much of it that I teach is mm. come from experience. And a lot of it is mm. not written mm. about. And it is not on medium. So I think for me, medium mm. is, will mm. become or, you know, is already become a very, very powerful mm. medium to teach what I teach. Mm. So if it exists, at least there is something out there. But if it only, you know, it's okay. from me, okay. that's still not a mm. thing, right? I need more people to talk about it. Because, you know, as you say, to become a thing, it needs more people to talk about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've come to the end of the uh, interview. So, one classic question we ask is, any gyan for <laughs> design students, designers, aspiring uh, head, heads of UX? <laughs> okay. So, yes, lots of advice. That That's exactly what you get from me. <laughs> yes, uh, you will get some good and bad advice. Uh, you know, you have to check it on Medium to understand if it is good or bad. <laughs> okay. So, first thing is uh, understand basics of design hmm. first. Really, what is it? What design is all about? Right, right. Why does it exist and for right. whom does it exist? It is really not the the lipstick on the pink. Understand your users well and, you know, make their life slightly better. Mm. I I think you would have, you know, done your work well. And that's that's understanding the basics first. And the basics are in a way not on medium. Mm. They are in the books still. They are with professors Mm. still. I'm talking like an old Mm. hag, but but I'm just telling you it's still there. (laughs) Okay, and uh, for the aspiring design leaders, the the advice is the same, but you have to amplify it 100 times or 1000 times. Mm. Okay, find projects or find teams that make users' lives much, much better, larger ways. You're not looking at a smaller uh, benefit now. Mm. You're looking at very, very large benefits and do everything to ensure that they're larger benefits understand people's lives well you know you can't do it probably people in your team will do it and i think you're going to be great i think that's a great answer and something for all of us to take back and work on thank you so much ripul for coming on design lota this has been an amazing uh, time of getting insights from you so thank you thank you angie and you know i'm really honored to be on this show looking forward I feel like I've traveled through a conveyor belt with Ripple from user research and product design and also the business side of things. Especially Ripple talking about his aha moment of how he realized his thing was user research was so inspiring. I've been struggling for some time now to figure out what my thing is. It's also encouraging to know that this is a process that takes time and experience. Mm. Uh, I really admire his uh, fly on the wall approach to research. It's something we all know can be so hard to practice. When you're a fly on the wall, you observe things that weren't written down in your research plan. Like even the fears and the negative experiences can provide transformational insights. Yeah. And this is something I loved uh, in his course as well. Mm. Uh, There were no biases, no anecdotal uh, research allowed. Uh, 
we weren't allowed to say i think i feel i suppose uh, anything that would show bias or opinion <laughs> he would always come back with his standard line which was okay but what did you observe <laughs> what did the user do these keen observations can help us know what is the right problem to solve and not just focus on solving a supposed problem right sushi you've done some research and work in rural india for one of your projects did you also notice those cultural aspects of doing research that uh, ripul was talking about yeah i did and i think it's a cultural thing how users always wanted to look presentable in the information that they're providing this makes it hard to understand the crux of the problems that we're digging deeper into i found those workarounds that ripul mentioned interesting yeah. uh, like doing diary studies via sms and calls uh, such a creative research hack and i guess that's how kern ripul's research firm ended up being the local person for the companies who wanted eyes and ears on the ground yeah another key point that stood out for me is the value of research how it can help validate the problem uh, the solution and even eliminate presumed solutions yeah totally even incorporating this culture of research in a small way like testing concepts early can de-risk the entire project and save a lot of money and effort in the long run speaking of money uh, it can be one of the many reasons research doesn't get its due in the design process or even if it does the insights don't seem to see the light of day because acting on them can spell financial risk i'm glad we got to hear the other side of the story how heading design within a corporate setting helped ripple understand why research doesn't move forward into execution and we as designers can be that bridge empathizing with all the participants Uh, users employees in the lower rungs or the top level folks we might actually understand how the lipstick ended up on the page at the same time we shouldn't forget that more than anything as designers we are the advocates for the users and must address the problem mm. from that primary point of view it's also good to see ux having its moment in the limelight these days but uh, we definitely need more light on the user in user experience <laughs> I like how Ripple scans portfolios and resumes in the search of the word user. What do you think about the portfolio <laughs> glam these days, Angie? Well, I think it takes both substance and aesthetics to tell a story, and I've seen it go wrong both ways. So, <laughs> and if you want more substance in this age of rock star uh, slash unicorn slash <laughs> ninja designers, I think uh, how we talk about design really matters. That's true. and not all of that substance can be found through a google search or a medium article uh, there's still wisdom to be gained from experiences and conversations and sharing our experiences as designers and communicating the value of design this is how we lead design right yeah it's so cool that that's something every designer can do uh, you don't have to be a lead designer to be a design leader oh t-shirt quote alert people <laughs> hey listeners what are you doing to lead design at your workplace what are those design research hacks you've used that are specific to india and how many big makeovers have you done <laughs> tweet to us at design lota and tell us about it you can also find us on facebook and instagram you can find the references for this episode on our blog designlota.com catch us next time for more adventures in the life of indian designers until then bye, bye.